Alrighty. So last week, if you remember, we didn't get a chance to finish our quiz, but I'm just going to give you the answers to week three, asking for God's wisdom. Uh, the first question was, who were the three characters in our passage? We had the fool, the wise man, and the wise God. Then we learned about how God gives, does anyone remember? Close. I'm looking for two words. He, how does he give? Yes, generously and graciously. What is the outcome to humble prayer and prideful prayer? Does anyone remember? The outcome to humble prayer is? It will be answered, and then prideful prayer will not be answered. Number four, what is the first simile in the book of James? Does anyone remember that? Yes, so the, the one who doubts is like uh, a wave of the sea. And then the condition to answer prayer, you have to pray in what, John? How do you have to pray in? In order to be answered? Yes, you have to pray in faith, uh, with faith. And number six, what is the Greek word dipsuhos? What is that word for? Doubled-minded. Double-minded. And then we're called to pray fervently and faithfully. All right. Let us go to lesson four now. And let me start with prayer. And we'll get into it. All right. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can dive into your word. Uh, Lord, you've been so gracious to us, so generous that we have a place we can meet, um, nice and warm, and we're able to gather around with some coffee and, and be able to fellowship. And we thank you, Lord, for these lights, everything you've given us. Lord, we know it is a gift from you. So help us to uh, really appreciate what you have for us today in the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many times as believers, we forget our status in heaven. We focus so much on our social status that we forget our salvation status. Christ died for us, and we have been forgiven of all of our sins. We can have hope that one day we will see Him face to face. And regardless of our current trials, we can rejoice that we are children of God. So the title for today's lesson is, The Humble Are Exalted. All believers are in a status of exaltation. So if you're feeling down, you need to remember and rejoice about your high status. So uh, today we're going to recap and then go into the outline. So let me just recap. I know we kind of did this with the quiz, um, but I want to see how much you remember from last week. So we discussed the importance of prayer. Why is it that we pray and what do we pray for? What did we talk about last week, guys? Why do we pray? Yes, very good. Our relationship with God. We need to pray because we're in this relationship with God. Why else do we need to pray? What do we pray for? Yes, mainly wisdom. We're, we're going to need it in our current trials, right? So we pray for wisdom. We recognize we needed it because we often don't think wisely about our trials, right? We were not considering it joy. Sometimes we get angry uh, when we get into a trial. So that's why we pray for wisdom, to glorify God in all we do and encounter. Now, we also talked about the first illustration. Does, uh, we did mention it in the quiz, but what was that illustration about? You had a person that was doubting, and what was he compared to? Illustration. Yes, the wave of the sea. And what, what was that sea like? Do you remember? Has anyone been in the ocean on a boat? It's just tossing you. It's driven by the wind. Yeah, it's back and forth. 
And so that was a negative example of what a fool looks like, right? They have this doubled-mindedness in them. They just have two souls battling against each other. No foundation. Now, we also talked about uh, the wise God. We talked about uh, the fool. We talked about uh, the wise man. So what is the difference between the wise man and the fool? What do we remember? What's the difference between them two? Yeah. Perfect. Good answer. Yeah, yeah. So one is stable and the other isn't. It's a, he's a double-minded man. But ultimately, we also saw that one prays in faith, right? We mentioned the one who doubts is also someone who doesn't pray with faith. Uh, which brings us to the last point. We talked about the instability of the fool, right? This person um, is doubting. They have this hatred towards God. But what should our response be to the person that doubts? Let's say we meet someone, maybe an atheist, someone who doesn't love God, someone who hates God. What, how should we interact with them? What do we remember? I'm sure... Patience, yes, yes. I'm sure some of your coworkers or people you interact with, your family, they're not saved, Right? They're, they're doubting, and we need to be there for them by pointing them in the right direction. We love on them. We were all like this at one point, and so we need to be patient with those who doubt. That's what I forgot my clicker. All right, so for today, we're going to look at a couple of things, uh, some interpretive issues, the verses. We're going to recap those illustrations. Then we're going to answer the question of the week. Summarize everything with some applications and conclude with that quiz that we know we like to do. So, interpretive issues. I'm sure you guys know what this is. If you've done it, um, if you've done a Bible study at home, right? You're, you're sitting down maybe with some coffee in the morning. You wake up. You have maybe a verse before you, and you say, "Hmm, does this mean this or does this mean that?" And so, some of you, what do you guys usually do? You jump to a commentary. You know, I used to do that a lot, and I still do it once in a while. But even if you look at a commentary, the commentators are like, well, it could mean this, or it could mean that. <laughs> so um, that's why we have many in-house disagreements. But that doesn't mean Scripture is wrong. It means we just have to do a little more thinking, a little more digging. Um, and, and we also uh, know we're not going to know everything, right? God is infinite. God is all-knowing. We're not. And so we need to be humble and remember that the Holy Spirit is the one that's guiding us, teaching us the truth. So my question is, and, and try not to look at the board uh, in a little bit, but my question is, how do we interpret certain parts of a text that are unclear to us? So try not to look at the board. What do you guys do when you come to your Bible study and your devotionals and you're like, I don't know what this means. What do you guys do? And you compare it with other texts. Like scripture, interpret scripture. Yes, yes, we'll look at that. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. So um, I have three general rules or principles, right? And you guys pretty much mentioned all of them. First, we interpret the clear with the unclear. That means we need to know the whole of Scripture. If we come to a verse and we make an interpretation of it, we need to make sure it lines up with the rest of Scripture. And we're going to see 
that in chapter 2, there's a big debate, faith versus, uh, faith versus works, right? And there are some churches that teach, well, you're saved by works, right? James 2.17 says here, faith without works is dead. And so clearly they got James 2 wrong, right? They weren't interpreting the whole of Scripture. The second thing we do is, uh, I think Ephraim said it, we consider the immediate context, right? So we look at the verses before and after. Uh, and honestly, uh, if you're going through something in James, you should read the whole book of James, right? Not just the verses before and after. The last thing I would say, and this is crucial for us when we're coming to our Bible study or even interacting um, in church breakfast, right? We're not supposed to be dogmatic when we have an interpretation, right? No one here is going to be a perfect interpreter. Um, the Word of God is perfect, but we are not. And so that's why there's some essentials that we need to affirm, and then there's secondary issues, all right? We don't have to divide over those things. All right, so let's consider some interpretive issues for us today. Now, the first one, let's read verse 9. If you have your Bibles, James 1, verse 9. I'm going to go through three verses today. Three interpretive issues and three main points. So, let's read verse 9 together. Uh, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. But the brother is to glory in his high position. So, Here's my first question, or let's pretend we're at a Bible study, and okay, what does this mean? What do you guys think James' primary focus is? Finances or faithfulness here? By a raise of hands, who thinks it's about finances? Come on, raise your hand, I know you want to. Who thinks it's about faithfulness? Uh Uh-oh. So, we remember we need to consider the historical context. Now, the brother here, he is called a lowly brother, right? A brother with humble circumstances. You could say he's a poor man. So is James really trying to teach us about humility or his social status? Well, there does seem to be a focus on finances in the rest of the book, right? In the, rex, uh, in the historical context and in the verses after. Just look at chapter 2. You'll see that he's talking about the rich man and the poor man, right? And so... Um, The focus here is actually on the brother's low social status, not his attitude of humility. However, here's the thing, right, about not being dogmatic. That doesn't mean we disregard the principle of humility in verse 9. Because if you read the rest of James, we find that the lowly brother, he is gentle, he is meek, and he loves God. The person that is said to have an exalted status in our text is a humble brother. So yes, this text is about finances, but it also has to do with the person's faithfulness to God. All right. The next question we have here um, we need to address is about poverty. So, given our text, does this mean that all poor people or people going through persecutions are faithful? Yes or no? Why? Why? Good, good. Yes, we know of cults that go through tough things for their faith. We know of drunks and lazy people who are poor. So no, poverty doesn't automatically equal faithfulness to God. So what James is doing here is he's giving us a general statement about the early church, right? They are going through difficult trials because of their faith. And so James in verse 9 is going to remind them to glory in, to boast about their high status. All right, let's go into the next interpretive issue here. 
Now, this one, I'll be honest, is the toughest one. I would say of the whole book of James, right? We have a lot of interpretive issues, but this one I would say is the hardest one. Is James addressing a rich believer or a rich unbeliever? Uh Uh-oh. What do you guys think? Let's read verse 10. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, he will pass away. All right, so a raise of hands. Who, do you, who thinks it's a rich believer? Okay. What about a rich unbeliever? No, no. We didn't, not everyone raised their hands, but okay. Yeah, maybe we don't know what it is. So, given the rest of the letter, it does seem like rich people are characterized as wicked people. But we also have in chapter 2 a middle class. If you look at chapter 2, there are some that aren't rich, but there are some that aren't poor. And so those that are poor are going to be like, well, they're rich in our eyes because they have something because we have nothing. So could James be addressing the rich people here that are Christians? Now, a lot of commentators, like I said, debate on this, and a lot of them say, yeah, he's addressing rich believers. I honestly could go either way on this. Um, Given the rest of the letter and the historical context, and I think James is being very general here, I believe it's uh, a rich unbeliever. All right? Um, So, some of my reasons for that. If you look at verse 9, it says, A brother of lowly, uh, humble circumstances. In verse 10, he doesn't mention brother. He's mentioning a rich man. And if you look at the other verses when it talks about the rich man, it's not a really good light. So that's going to be my uh, argument or interpretive uh, on that. I believe it's a rich unbeliever. But, remember, we're not dogmatic. Let's say um, he was addressing rich uh, believers. What would that interpretation be like? Um, He would primarily be encouraging rich believers to not focus on their riches, but rather to have this lowly mindset which looks beyond temporary. You know, as the poor brother um, who forgets their earthly poverty, the rich brother also has to forget their earthly riches. And so by faith, these two, the rich believer and uh, the poor believer, they are actually equals in Christ, right? Because they have the same faith. So he's reminding them mainly to not... um, forget their true status in heaven because what what can happen with a lot of rich believers they could just focus on their earthly status and james is saying well no you got to focus on your heavenly status so that's why he's saying it's a glory and the humiliation but again another question we have to answer um does riches automatically equal faithless no good like i said before with uh the unbeliever the poor brother doesn't mean oh well i'm poor so Clearly, I have faith. No. Same thing with the rich believer. Just because they have money, that doesn't make them faithless. All right? Think of some believers in Scripture that are rich. Who are some? Yeah, Nicodemus. Who else? Yes, the one who bought the tomb for Christ. David. Solomon. Forget about it. They had a lot of money. And so, yes, like I said, the commentators are going to say, well, James would be super ironic to say, glory in your humiliation. But that's the position I'm taking it. Um, Let's move on to the last one, all right? Verse 11, let's read that. Verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass. 
and his flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. All right, so this one's not that big of a deal or a debate because um, they both mean the same thing. It's going to be really hot. The question is, does it, is it talking about a heat or is it talking about a win? So the NASB, what does your uh, Bible say, guys? Is it wind or heat? Wind, right? That's what the NASB says. Okay. Now, the literal Greek is with the burning. With the burning, right? There's no uh, wind here in the Greek. So some would argue, though, it's referring to the Palestinian sun with its scorching effect um, upon the green herbage. So some would say, well, it's actually a better translated heat, not uh, with the wind. The other wind is talking about the Sirocco where this is this burning wind in the Arabian desert that comes in, and it's just dreaded. You're just, uh, it's just burning. It's like a hot oven. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a sauna or after the gym. It's just, whew, you're just melting away if you're in there too long. Um, but, like I said, I think it's really better translated uh, heat, because in the Greek it doesn't say wind. And I also find support in Matthew Thirteen six Matthew twenty twelve they both say scorching heat right no wind there but all right so let's go to our verses now here um, enough with the interpretive issues so we're looking at these verses we already read some of them um, all of them I highlighted some key points that I want us to look at right the first word um, that I highlighted is our imperative remember there's fifty four of them. And this is another one, to glory in, to boast in, to have pride in. And so we're going to talk about that mainly. And then, if you notice, it's like, not a couplet, but the will pass away about the rich man. After the illustration, it's pretty similar because they're both in the future indicative. Will fade away. So it's like a nice little package there. And so James, what he's doing is he's expanding on verse 10. And he's given us this illustration. And like I said, if you're very artistic, you like James because he's very artistic. And our three main points we're going to look at. Um, number one, height and humility. Number two, humiliation in the heat of life. And number three, the hopeless pursuit of hard cash. All right? So that's what we're looking at uh, for today. All right. Let's get into it. So, in verse 9, we observe a couple things. So, look at verse 9 again. I know we talked about it with the interpretive issue, but look at it again. Verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. Now, this is probably one of my new favorite verses, and I'll explain in a bit. So, we're going to look at the humble man's poverty, pursuit, and position. So, his poverty. He is a man of humble circumstances, right? He doesn't have a lot in the eyes of the world. You can say he has nothing. Maybe he doesn't even have a job because he lost it. Um, Probably because of some injustice. You'll see that in chapter 2 when we get there. And many of us would say, this poor person has a big problem. To not have finances means you have no hope. But we know that's not true, right? Being poor isn't the worst thing. What's the worst thing? Yes, being apart from God, not knowing Christ. So, what is the poor brother's pursuit in life? 
Is it to get a job? I mean, yes, it would be good to get a job. But my point is, is that his main goal in life? To get a job and make money and be successful? What's the poor brother's main goal, according to James here? It says to glory in, to boast in his high status, to remember he is a brother of Christ. And so he begins with this imperative in the Greek, right? In the Greek it says uh, to glory and to boast. And so the emphasis is on this word. And yes, believers, we can boast in certain things. A lot of times you're thinking, oh, you can't boast, you're a Christian. But we can boast. What are some things we could boast about? The cross, good, right? That's Galatians. Anyone else? What can we boast about? I'm thinking of Jeremiah 9, 24. That we know the Lord. What's the last time you guys boasted about that? I know the Lord. So the word boast, it can be translated to take pride in. It conveys this strong personal reaction. It's like this total reaction, um, this inward feeling, right? You're just expressing it. I'm born again, right? We do this sometimes when we sing um, at church. We're saying, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And so this is not this arrogant boasting, right? Maybe you watch football and someone scores a touchdown and they're celebrating with the salsa dance and they're boasting. This is not that type of boasting. This is a joyous pride possessed by the person who values what God values, right? And this should be our pursuit or aim in life, to consider it all joy in trials and to glory in our high status as believers. And so we need to think about what was the last time you boasted about being born again? All right, it's okay, you can do it. In the midst of trials, we're called to have this mindset of joy and verbal expression of faith. Now, we could either complain about our poverty or we can meditate on our position. We need to choose the latter. Now, we talked about the humble man's position, uh, and that is one of importance. Although he may be treated as dirt, as low, he is higher than all the unbelievers in their status. Right? If you look at James 2.5, why don't you turn there. James 2.5. Look what God says here about these poor believers. James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? And so we are rich in faith. We are heirs of the kingdom. If you look at Ephesians 2.8, we are seated in the heavenly places. We have this present exalted spiritual position as a Christian. Remember, the humble are exalted. So we can have confidence in our trials and trust the Lord. Now James, he doesn't pity the poor believer, but he calls him to contemplate his high status. He says, consider this now. You have a high status. You are a child of God, an heir of God, Romans 8.17 tells us. question is, do you live like it? And the poor brother, he is urged to let wisdom open his eyes to the spiritual height to which he has been lifted as a child of God. So even though he might be financially poor, looked down upon from the world, considered a nobody in the eyes of God, he has a position of lofty dignity, right? So the lowly are really lofty. Now, yes, he may not have anything in his pockets, but one day he's going to have way more than all the unbelievers combined because we know he has Christ presently. He does have way more than all the unbelievers combined right now. So instead of resenting his poverty, let the poor man remember that he is a prince, a possessor of spiritual riches. So we're not pessimistic, 
We are people that persevere. Now, I know I mentioned a lot about boasting and rejoicing, uh, but what are some other things we could boast or rejoice about? Like I, I mentioned that because we know the Lord, what are some other things? Think about it. Yeah, okay. Because Christ's strength will be made known in our weakness. Good. What about being adopted into God's family, right? What about our future hope that Christ is returning one day? We could boast about that. Christ is coming back. We could rejoice about that. So I have this hymn here that I thought would be really good for us to think about. So it says, a tent or a cottage why should I care? So think about a small house. Maybe you have a small house. Or maybe you have a mansion. Why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there, right? She's talking about heaven. Way better than this current home. Though exiled from home, yet still I sing. So that could be maybe I'm in prison. Maybe I have no place to stay because of persecution. You're able to still sing what? All glory to God, I'm a child of the king. And so this mindset is one of wisdom, who considers it all joy. They know their eternal status matters more. They are content. So talking about the humble man in our uh, verse here, in verse 9, um, there's a couple of things that I think really characterize this humble man. So I put poor in spirit. If you look at the Beatitudes with Jesus, right? Um, blessed are they who are poor in spirit for their, uh, the kingdom of God should be theirs. I also put uh, spirit of rejoicing, wisely optimistic. What are some characteristics when I say this person is a humble person? What would you say uh, categorizes that humble person? Besides those three things that I put up. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Good. He's mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's not self-centered. He's able to have relationships with others. He thinks of others before himself. That's Philippians 2. Yes. I, I love that. That is, that is huge. If you're a humble person, you're an honest person. Right? You don't have nothing to hide. Um, you're an open book. So good, yeah. Anyone else? What is a humble person? Think about a person that is poor in spirit, right? So it's not that they're literally poor, um, but it's talking about someone who recognizes their need. It says, man, I'm a wretched man who needs grace, right? That is what's poor in spirit. So his real poverty isn't found in his checking account. It's found in his heart. He knows he's a needy person that needs grace, that he needs forgiveness, right? And why did I say he's wisely optimistic? Because he knows his real status in heaven. When trials come his way, he can have confidence because he knows one day he's going to be with Christ. All right, so let's move on to our next point in verse 10. Verse 10, let's read it again. It says in James 1, And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. And so, we consider three things. The rich man's commerce, uh, the rich man's calling, and the rich man's conclusion. All right, so the first part is, he's a businessman, right? He's rich, so he's got to have some money. And he's got to be working a lot. 
And he's a busy person. You know, he's someone always on the road. He's got his phone. Oh, I got a call, business call right now. Excuse me. This person um, is rich, right? Now, consider the context in Palestine. It was a great location to make some money there, right? Really good trade, uh, good place for trading uh, right next to the water. And so I don't know what you think about, but maybe someone who's uh, on Wall Street, stock market, um, someone with a big company. What do you guys think about when I say someone rich? Who do you think of? Give me some names. Bill Gates. Good. I, I knew that one was coming up. Okay, Warren Buff. Yeah. Anthony Fauci. Whoa, he's got a lot of money. All right. Uh, Elon Musk. All right. Okay. So this person isn't known for their low social status, like the humble man. He's someone who's got a high social status. He's got a lot of money. But what about his calling? What is James calling them to do in verse 10? It says the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Right? So one day he is going to be brought low. So you want to notice the contrast here. So in verse 9, we have this lowly brother that is going to be glorying in his high position. And now here we have this person who you know everyone thinks is, is all that, super rich. They're actually called to a low condition, and, and they're getting humbled here. Why don't you look with me to Isaiah 2, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to see this, this idea of not the humble are exalted, but the exalted are humbled. Isaiah 2, verse 12. If you got it, say amen. All right, you guys beat me there. So it says, For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up, right? They have the status of exaltation, that they may be abased, all right? So if you look at verse 11, similar, look what it says. The proud look of the man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled. And who alone is going to be exalted? The Lord, all right? Similar concept in Matthew 23, verse 12, with the Pharisees, uh, a famous passage there. You can go back to the book of James. But Matthew 23, 12, in the context of the Pharisees, Jesus says the humbled will be exalted, but the exalted will be humbled. And so they were all about the position. They were all about the nice seats, right? Um, Everyone looked at them as the most religious people there were, and yet they are going to be humbled because they didn't know Christ. And so what is the conclusion to the rich man? He will fade away. In this verse, he is compared to a flower that will pass away. And we're going to see that more in the illustration. Uh, But for now, remember, the flower of the grass is our next simile in this letter. It is fleeting like the rich man. I don't know if you have a home, you cut the grass. um, Especially if you don't have any sprinklers, that grass gets toasted when it's nice and hot in the summer. Um, So if you don't take care of your grass, you know, you can see this picture. That is the picture of the rich man. He is fading away. All right. In uh, Palestine, right, the context here with James, there were various field flowers um, that bloom in abundance each spring uh, because of the rains, right, during spring. So we kind of see that in New York, too. Uh, Beautiful place of all four seasons. But James was well aware that the life of these beautiful wild flowers were brief. And so when... That dry summer season starts, 
we know that these flowers are going to rapidly pass away. And so passing away, uh, that's in the future indicative sense. I mentioned that earlier. So it's certain it's going to happen, right? The rich man is certain that he will uh, fade away. Now some verses uh, that kind of discuss that, uh, it's throughout the Psalms. Psalm 90, verse 5 to 6, Psalm 102, uh, Isaiah 51, 1 Peter. And later I'm going to let you know about your homework, but I, I want to continue here with the characteristics of the rich man. So remember, I said, what makes a rich or a humble person humble? What about this rich man? What are some characteristics of a rich unbeliever? Now, I know I'm saying like the focus is on the rich man, but I'm talking more about the unbeliever here and maybe specifically a rich unbeliever. What, maybe you met someone who's a rich unbeliever. What are some characteristics? I put up busy, proud, and foolish. Say it again. Proud. Yep, I got that one. Selfish. Selfish, yes. Right, because they're always about themselves, making more money. Yeah. Anyone else? A rich unbeliever. So we mentioned some names. Bill Gates, Fauci. Uh, um, who else did we mention? What, what are some characteristics of them? If they're obviously probably not saved. But what are some characteristics? Okay. They're not honest. Yeah, so basically everything we said about the humble person, just flip-sided. Uh-huh. Arrogant, yes, yes. And we see that throughout the Psalms. These people are arrogant. They think they're basically God because they have this power and control and telling everyone what to do. And they're not submitting to God's authority, right? The Word of God. Um, so I put that this rich person, obviously he's busy because he's always trying to make money. Um, he's always trying to you know, be more comfortable in life, have way more. Um, he's not content, though. He's always busy. He's like, ah, you know, I got to have more. I got to have more. Maybe you need to control the whole world. Who knows? But maybe you can relate. Let's be honest. Maybe you work a lot of overtime. Um, and it's not just to make ends meet. Maybe it's to, yeah, have a little more comfortability. Um, maybe we work so much that it's not really about what we need, but what we want. And so, uh, yeah, we could relate to the rich man at times. Uh, we could be very busy. But proud, what about proud? Uh, pride. They don't care for the needy. When you see someone that not only their life isn't characterized by prayer, helping out others, um, they're people that really don't care about the needy. And like Victor said, they're selfish. They only care about themselves. Uh, they don't cling to the word. They're not clean from the world. Uh, they... Do not control the tongue, right? They, they like to talk. And the rich man, uh, he's also, I would say, a fool because he spends all his time on getting all this money and he could die tomorrow, right? What, what does Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? Yet lost his soul. All right, let's go to our last verse. We're almost wrapping it up here. Doing good on time. Verse 11, let's read it again. Here's the illustration that he gives uses the word for, right here. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And so our third point uh, that I have here is hopeless pursuit of hard cash. Now, this picture is the inevitable for all people who are rich. We observe it in four parts, right? In four aorist tense verbs, these things will all happen. So what James is doing is saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. 
right? So he's just giving us what commonly occurs. And if you look at a flower, I don't know if you have some free time one day, you're just going to look at a rose, but that's fine. You know, I used to do it maybe when I was younger. If you look at the rose every day, you're like, oh, that's a pretty rose. But then once it gets hotter, maybe it doesn't get enough water. And roses, let's be honest, they die pretty quick anyways, maybe a week uh, when it's outside of its root. But you just look at it and it's dying, right? So the picture here is everyone lives under the sun, right? You woke up this morning, maybe the sun was a little higher this morning because of the time change, but we live under the sun, the sun rises, and then what happens to the grass? It withers, it dries up, then its flower falls or its petals drop, if you picture a rose, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So that is the picture James has for us, right? This flower that's just being destroyed. And what do we observe here? Uh, The beauty and uh, the briefness of life, because yeah, life is great. Life is beautiful. To have life is, is great, but it will fade away, right? It will eventually lead to death. And so what is the beauty here talking about? It's talking about the appearance of the flower, but like James is about to get into, the rich man he's mainly talking about here. So the beauty could really be talking about maybe the rich man's apparel, right? He has so much things. He has so many nice clothes, yet that will fade away. Maybe he has a a nice house or a nice car. Maybe they can afford to promote their health, but they're not going to take all those things to the grave. right? They can die tomorrow. Maybe even during their normal time at work. right? It's lunchtime, another day, making money. Um, But then the rich man, he he fades away. Literally, uh, if you look at verse 11 here, it says, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits. So if you go to chapter 4, verse 13, there's a person that has a business trip and he's talking about, we're going to go here tomorrow, make some more money over there. Um, But they're not anticipating that the end is at hand. And so this is a reminder to the wealthy that success is not to be found in the material things of the world. The rich man fades. Now here's the thing. If you look at verse 11, is the focus on the riches or on the rich man? What's the focus on? The rich man, right? It doesn't say the riches will fade away. It says the rich man will fade away. So what James is getting at is this person's soul is in danger. If you look at Luke 12, verses 19 to 21, Jesus talks about this uh, rich man who was a fool, right? He's like, oh, I can't wait to make, uh, you know, put all my profit in a barn and keep it away and, and make more money and, and let's drink and be merry. And then... God tells them, you fool, today you're going to die, right? And so that's what happens to this rich man in our text. And a question for us, though, is are you busy advancing your kingdom or God's kingdom, right? We can act like this rich man at times. So I summed it up with this quote here. It says, wealth is as short-lived as a wildflower in the scorching heat. All right, now the last thing that I want you to think about Um, is how it connects with verse 10. Remember, I I, I highlighted in black verse 10, verse 11, the ending there. Why did I do that? Well, the conclusion of the rich man in verse 10 was also in the future tense. So it brings it back full circle. So so James is like, all right, see what I told you in verse 10? I'm telling you it again in a different way in verse 11. uh, So the rich man, he is said to pass away like the flower. And so 
in verse 11, what James is doing is giving us greater detail, uh, you know, painting a picture for us to understand just how sure that destruction is. So I want you to look at this verse here. I think it will be very helpful. Look at Proverbs 23. Um, Our church breakfast was in Proverbs 21. Very edifying. Let's look at Proverbs 23. Maybe we'll get get to this eventually in our church breakfast. But look at Proverbs 23, verse 4. Look at the wisdom of this topic that we're talking about of riches. It says, verse 4, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For Look at this, look at this. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. I love that, I love that. So I think it will be good for us here to, to think about that um, that wealth is short-lived as a wildflower in the scorching heat. Right? So maybe you're stressed out about having a lot. You know, that's foolish. That's foolish. We need to think about our status in Christ. All right, so a couple of things I want to do here before our quiz. Um, I'll do it really briefly. Is just remember the similarity. So we're going through the whole book of James, right? Uh, hopefully within two years. Um, <laughs> but there is a couple of illustrations so far. So we don't want to forget them, right? So verses 5 to 8, the first illustration was about the surf of the sea, right? The one, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, picturing that um, maybe the Sea of Galilee or whatever you can think of. And then we have this illustration, illustration 2, which is the scorching heat of the sun. Uh, so don't forget this, especially don't forget it for the quiz. Um, and then I want you to... Think about the question of the week, right? Not really going to discuss much, but I just want you to, it's more about application here, right? So how do we handle our finances in a godly manner? Um, We're talking about finances today, so we need to bring it up. Do we invest for the future? Now, I'm not talking about a 401k, retirement, that's all good stuff. I'm talking about your future in heaven, right? Are we focused more on earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? Are we investing for the kingdom of God? Think about that. And how do you do that? Well, obviously by working hard for the glory of God. You know, whatever you do, you want to do it to the glory of God. And one other reminder here, which I think is really uh, key for us to remember, is it is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? What was the issue with the rich man? (laughs) He was not giving. If you think about uh, the rich man in Lazarus, right, Um, in Luke 16, he was selfish. and, And God was telling him, or I forget if it was Abraham telling him, but he had all his things in, in earth, and he was good, and he wasn't really kind to that poor man. Um, and, and, of course, he's in anguish, right? He just wants one drop of water, and he can't get it because he's in hell. And so just think about it. It is way more blessed to give than to receive. Um, all right, so I got two quotes here to summarize everything. Uh, so we talked about the height and humility, verse 9. My former pastor, um, he would say this often, and it's a great reminder. We are the richest people we know. Um, now, that's talking about a spiritual sense, right? Um, we are the richest people. And, the, and if you really get that, if you really understand that, that's going to change your day. You're going to say, wow, I have so much more than I deserve. I need to be loving to my neighbor. I need to care for them. Um, and so you praise them because you know one day you will be exalted and your earthly treasures, yeah, though they will perish, that's okay. You have 
everlasting treasures in heaven. The other thing with uh, verses 10 and 11 that we went over, I want you to memorize uh, this. If our focus is on earthly treasures, we will have no treasures in heaven. So, beloved, if that's all you think about, having that new house, you know, a lot of money, that indicates that you're not thinking about true treasures in heaven. And that's what really matters. And so this rich man in our text, uh, he lost focus on that. um, And that's why he's mainly going to fade away. All right, some applications here. First one. We need to rejoice in earthly riches. Rejoice, again, I say rejoice, not in your promotion, not in your new car, or the money you're getting back from your taxes. I'm preaching to myself. Rejoice that you've been bought with a price, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you, and you're born again. Rejoice in your status before the Father. Number two, reassess the future ruin of earthly riches. Think about what's going to happen one day to all your money, all that control or power you may have. It will fade away. So why is it at times the most important thing to us? It shouldn't be. And remember, we cannot have two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Serve God. The future ruin of riches will certainly happen. Don't perish with it too. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this reminder in your word. Um, Help us now as we transition to the quiz. May it be edifying as well. And Lord, we thank you that you remind us to rejoice in our high status, Lord. We look forward to uh, just seeing that high status in play in heaven uh, on earth. But we we do pray even now that we will realize this uh, current position we have as, as believers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.